Boy, that was uh, awesome, awesome worship this morning. Uh, as I uh, listened to those songs and, and the words, um, as I praised God for my salvation that's in Jesus Christ, but I also was challenged by the words, does my life truly live what I'm singing? You know, and in today's world, there's some really hard days to say, yes, I'm truly committed to praising you and giving you all the glory and praise, especially when those days get really hard, right? And uh, I can say that we've, we've lived through some, some hard days over the last couple, couple years. Um, today, I'm going to talk about freedom. Now, you may think I was going to come and talk about love because tomorrow is St. Valentine's Day. So I say that to remind all the guys that tomorrow is St. Valentine's Day. But that's not what we're going to talk about. But although when I talk about freedom in Christ, it's really talking about God's love towards us. Um, in the United States, and I would even say now by watching the news, that even in Canada and other countries in the world, we regard our freedoms very close to our heart, don't we? We do. Okay? It shows. In fact, um, you go back uh, 250 years ago, we actually went to war to gain our freedom from Great Britain. We fought the Revolutionary War, and out of that came what we now call the United States. And we put together a constitution, we put together a bill of rights to preserve our freedoms, right, and our individual rights that we have. Um, and all of these things are good, so don't, don't get me wrong as I start to enter in what I want to talk about today, but... In fact, you may even think the sermon's going to start out talking... Whoa, that got really loud. But as we start to talk about this, you may think we're going to talk something about politics and the things that's happening in the world right now with the truckers in Canada. And I just saw on Facebook that March 1st, the, the truckers in the United States are going to join them and go to Washington and all sorts of stuff could happen. And uh, as much as we want to support that and so on, but as a church, how do we react to those things in the world, right? How do, where do we fit into all of that? Well, today I want to talk about freedom because I think the church has gotten confused a little bit about what freedom really is. We look at the world's freedom as one way, but we're going to look at what did Jesus say about freedom and where is freedom truly found? So let me open us with prayer, because I think we definitely need God's guidance on all of this. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we are able to gather. We thank you, Lord, for the fresh snow that covers all the, the dirty snow over the last couple days from melting. And it's a reminder, Lord, that what you did on the cross... It's just like that fresh coat of snow. It covers all of our sins and makes us white as snow. And we are thankful for that. Lord, as we uh, look at your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct us. I pray, Lord, that these sweet folks would hear 
what you want them to hear. And if there's anything that I say that is not of you, that they would not hear it. And Lord, that you'd be glorified through this. And Lord, also, as we look in your word, that it would change us and make us more and more like Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible makes it really clear that freedom is actually only found in one person. True freedom is found in Christ. And so as I mentioned about all those things in the United States, as citizens in the United States, we have all sorts of responsibilities, don't we? We have responsibilities to follow the laws that are set, set forth. One of those responsibilities as a citizen also is we are to vote. That gives us to sort of preserve our freedom by who we put representing in that. And those are all good things. We have to be able to make sure that we live underneath the law. In fact, in Romans 13:1, it says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no other authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, that's hard for some of us to swallow, right? Okay, because... I understand as a citizen of the United States, we want, as individuals, we want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and we don't necessarily want anybody to tell us what we can do, right? And over the last couple of years, we've been faced head on with that, and we wrestle with it and struggle. What, you know, do I have to wear a mask? Do I have to get back? Do I not? All of those things. And it has been very, very hard for some of us because all of us struggle with that sin nature that's inside of us that we all want to be lord of our life we all want to be in charge and we don't want someone else and we definitely don't want the government to tell us what we're supposed to do we all struggle with that it goes back to what our sin nature is right each one of us has been born in that sin nature and there's that war that battles on in fact if you look in romans 7 um, Paul talks about that. Why do I do the things that I know I shouldn't do and I don't want to do, but yet I do them, and the things I want to do that I should do, I don't do? That battle that's in there. Until we get rid of this sinful body, right, the flesh, then we truly will experience what it means to live in that freedom in Christ. But Christ also said we can experience that now, even in these sinful bodies. But, we're born that way, but when we're born again, okay, spiritually, as the, as the Word of God says, when we've been born again into a new life through Jesus Christ, our lives look very different. Or I should say they should look very different. But they don't always, but they should look different. If we look at Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this is, this is one of my favorite verses, and I think for the Christian faith, this is probably one of the key verses that a lot of people don't fully grasp and understand what it says. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Let me give you an example, a sort of a, a word picture that will help you to maybe grasp a little bit more of that. It also will help you to clarify really what the gospel is talking about. So I'm going to pick on my brother Phil 
because I haven't seen him in a while and he always needs to be picked on. So let's <clears throat> hypothetically, okay, I'm gonna tell you a story about Phil. So Phil was having a really, really difficult day. Um, Debbie wasn't doing what she was supposed to do and everything else and, and Phil just, each as the day was going on, was gaining just anger and, and bitterness towards everything with life and all that stuff. And uh, he started drinking some alcohol to try to, and we'll just say it's some scotch whiskey. And he's drinking some, and all of a sudden he's just drinking a little bit more than he should, okay? But he's still angry, and all of this is feeding in. And he gets in his car, and he goes, and he starts going down Niagara Falls Boulevard. And as he's going down Niagara Falls Boulevard, he's getting even more angry at life. And before you know it, he's going super fast, goes through a red light, loses control, swerves up on the sidewalk, and there's three teenagers there that he hits with his car and kills them. Tragic story. Tragic story. There's witnesses that see him. He gets arrested. Now his court date comes. He walks into the courtroom with his, his lawyer. Phil knows that he's guilty. There's no question about that he's guilty. He walks in and he sits at the table with his defense attorney and there's the prosecutor. In comes the judge and the jury walks in and the court starts and the case goes through and the defendant calls witnesses to talk about how, how great of a man Phil is. He's an elder in the church and, and it was just a bad day and he's been a great father and grandfather and just a great friend and witness after witness talks about how good he is. And then the prosecution comes up and they bring their case and witness after witness talks about how careless he was that day and how as he's driving down Niagara Falls Boulevard was swerving in around cars and doing just totally stuff that sounded totally different than what the other people said. But yet there were a lot of witnesses then it comes to a point in the case where the prosecution rests their case, the defense rests their case, and now it's up to the jury. And each witness that came out and talked about what had happened, Phil felt the weight of his guilt, and he felt the weight of his shame, knowing that he was guilty. No matter how good everybody said he was, he was guilty. And he felt that. The jury goes out and deliberates, and it didn't take them long, and they came back in. When they come back in, the judge says to Phil, please stand to hear what the verdict is. And the judge says to the jury, foreman, do you have a verdict? And they stand and say, yes, we, found a, we have a verdict. Phil has been found guilty on all three counts of murder. And again, this is a hypothetical story, so we're gonna say that we live in a state when you kill somebody, you receive capital punishment, which is death. And Phil knows by his guilt and shame that he deserves death. He knows that. And the judge says, Phil, you have been found guilty the punishment for what you did is that you will be put to death. 
And then the judge does something really unusual. He says, but now you're free to go. And Phil looks at him like, no, that's, that's wrong. I, I know that I'm guilty. He says, yes, there is a punishment that needs to be paid. But before this case ever started, there was a man that came in and has listened to the whole case. And he had already signed away his life that when you were put when you were sentenced to death, he would take your place. And he's already headed to the execution. Now you are go and you're free to live. And you have a choice to live however you want to live. Do you think Phil would go out and live a life just the way he wants to live? Or would he live his life to fulfill the life that was given so that he would live. That's a picture of Galatians 2.20. No longer does Phil live. He lives a life, but he's living that life to live out for the person that took him, which for us as believers is Jesus Christ. He took our place. He gave us life. So that's why Paul can say, I no longer live. I have been crucified in that courtroom when I was found guilty. I was crucified at that point. Now the life I live, I live in and for Jesus Christ. As believers, that's the life that we are commanded to live. In that, Phil truly experiences freedom. It's no longer based on what the circumstances of life happen that he may come into. Because every moment that he has life is a blessing. Whether he has to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Whether he has to be vaccinated or not, right? It's freedom. That freedom is found in Christ. It's not found in the laws that we have. It's found in Jesus Christ. So I hope that gives you a clear picture when we talk about the gospel. and we talk about what it means to be a believer. And so today I'm going to be in the book of Galatians. And uh, I'll have the, the things on the screen, the verses, um, but if you open to Galatians, you'll see different ones if you want to mark the verses or whatever. But Paul talks about this, about freedom, throughout the book of, of Galatians. And it's actually the first book that Paul uh, wrote of his many letters to the churches. Um, and he wants to make it really clear that the saving grace of Jesus Christ is all that we need for salvation and justification. If we look first in Galatians 1, verses 3 through 5, it says, Grace to you. This is a greeting from Paul to the believers in Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us or set us free from this present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. So if we look at that verse, just the first word, grace, okay? Does everybody understand what grace is? Grace is, and if I use the case with Phil again, when he said he was free, he was given grace by the judge, right? Because he didn't deserve that. That was something that he didn't work for, earn. In fact, what he deserved was actually death. But grace he received. So by what Jesus Christ did for us, we received grace from God, which is life. We have eternal life because of that. 
The next word that I want you to look at, he says, grace to you and peace. Go back to the court case again. Peace. Now, because of what Phil did, the law said he deserved death. But he has been given grace, given lift, because the law was fulfilled by the person who took his place. Now Phil is at complete peace with the law. No longer is he guilty under that law. No longer does that punishment of death affect him at all. So think about that as, as, as you just contemplate this. All of us had a death sentence on us because of the sin that we committed. And it doesn't matter what the sin is. Remember all the witnesses that Phil had to say how good he was? The one made him guilty. It's the same thing with us. Any sin that we have in our life, as little as you think it might be, it still makes you guilty. But God says, through Jesus Christ, when you receive his grace and receive him into your life, you now are at peace with God. No longer is that death sentence on you anymore. Whoa, just soak that in for a minute. We have been set free and we are at peace with God. And then he goes on and he says that he might deliver us or set us free, it's the same translation, from this present evil age. Do you think we live in an evil age? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? Now, just to share with you, our evil age is just as bad as the evil age that was back then. In fact, all the junk that goes on that we see now is the same stuff that's been going on for thousands of years. Sin is sin and human nature. We are sinful people. Nothing has changed there. But he says, through this, understanding what Christ has done for you, you have been set free from this evil age. No longer should our circumstances and around us have an effect on us that puts us back into bondage again. So Paul then goes and he rebukes them in Galatians 1, 6 through 10. He says, and I love, this is probably some of the harshest language that you'll see Paul write is to the Galatians. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. I'll stop right there. That's like everybody's still coming back to Phil and say, oh yeah, but you killed him. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. No, he's been set free. There's no, you go, you go to the judge, he goes, no, it's done. That case is closed. He's free, right? But we have things around us that entangle us that make us feel like we're, we're still guilty. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Isn't that just like us? We've been saved by grace through faith, but yet we still let the things of this life entangle us. Things like politics, social issues, cultural issues, environmental issues. All of these things entangle us to where we forget that we've been set free from our sins. Or even set free from ourselves, if you want to say it. 
or our selfishness. And I talk about this because where he talks about in the verses there, it may be a little bit different at that time where they were saying, oh, you have to do these certain things. You have to eat this kind of food. You can't do this on Friday. And there's all these other things to say, this is, this is what's going to affect you. In other words, if I brought that up to today, well, there's no way you could be a Christian if you're a Democrat. Or there's no way you could really be saved if you vote for that person. Or if you're stuck on wearing a mask, well, then you haven't really experienced Jesus. Or you don't want to wear a mask, well, then you're definitely not a Christian because we're supposed to respect all the laws. We get caught up in a whole bunch of junk, right? That gets wound in and entangles us in understanding the freedom that we have. Believers live in a whole different mindset than, than what the world does. The world, they think... If we go and do these certain things, then we'll have freedom. But we know the freedom is, is found in Christ when our heart has been set free from our sin. Right? If we go back even in the United States and during the Prohibition years, right? Big thing was that if we, if we ban alcohol, then all of a sudden we'll have a great society. We'll be all good Christians then. What happened then? It fed organized crime, right? Because of that, you can't legislate morality. Jesus Christ is the only one that can change a heart. He's the one that works through that. So, I want to take you back to a time in the world where there was no sin. Okay? Believe it or not, there actually was a time. If you read in Genesis, okay, Genesis 1, 26 to 31... I'm not going to read. I'm just going to sort of paraphrase it. But this is where, Jesus, or where God made the world. And he made the Garden of Eden. Then he made man and female. And they could live in the garden. And they could do everything was provided for them. Um, everything that they needed, God had created it. Where they could live in complete and I would say absolutely perfect freedom. They could explore throughout the garden. Uh, they can enjoy everything that God had created for them, and he created it with them in mind, not with him, but with, him, with them in mind. They even had freedom with each other. If you read in the text, it says they were naked and not ashamed. In fact, everything was provided for them. There was freedom from stress, guilt, shame, and they also had the freedom to choose as well. I would say that's perfect freedom, right? One day, I know God's going to come and make it all right again, and the believers get to live in that world again. I can't wait for that day. You can just read Revelation 21 and get all excited about what's coming. But you see, they were living in perfect freedom because they were living in obedience to God. Now, at that point, there was no government, right? There was no law because they didn't need any of those laws. They just had a perfect relationship with God. But then the story changes drastically after just one event, just like Phil's life changed after one event, and that was disobedience. The moment they ate of the fruit, which God said they could not eat of, at that moment, freedom was lost. And now they lived a life that was not free. If you read farther in the text, they, they lived now with guilt. They lived with shame. They lived with stress. They lived with envy. 
They lived with blame. They lived with jealousy. Read, read a little bit further about Cain and Abel. They didn't live in freedom. All of that stuff came now. They lived a life that was not free. And if you read after that story, throughout the Old Testament, man has been trying to get back to that freedom ever since. That has been our goal, to get back to that freedom. The only thing is, man, us, in our sinful state, can never experience that freedom apart from Jesus Christ. He needs someone, and his name is Jesus, to intervene for us, to give us that freedom. Just like Phil had that person in the back row that intervened for him to give him that freedom. In fact, if you continue to read through the, the Old Testament, you'll see story after story where their goal is, is to try to live that life that was initially a, a, a given to them in the Garden of Eden. They wanted to experience that freedom from their sin. One of the examples of that is in Exodus, and probably all of you know the story of Moses, right? By God's, uh, Moses was a Hebrew, but by God's grace, he was raised as an Egyptian in the Pharaoh's household, and uh, as he grew up, he saw the, the Hebrew people, his people, being in bondage. They were basically slaves to the Egyptian Pharaoh, and uh, they didn't have a life of their own, and they worked, and it was difficult and hard, and then Moses seeing that, said, I want to set my people free. And so he goes about it in the man's way, okay? And what he, try, what he does is kills an Egyptian, but that only put the Hebrew people into more bondage, and then it left him a fugitive to go live in the wilderness, which was also in bondage, and he was bondage to his guilt and his shame and all of that. But in God's sovereignty... And his grace, his perfect grace, he made a way for the Hebrews to experience salvation from slavery into a whole new freedom. In fact, the Hebrews and their, their freedom experienced God's provision. So when they left, remember he parted the Red Sea? He did everything that they needed. His provision, his guidance, his wisdom, his protection. But in their freedom, they easily went back to their sin they wanted to be in control. Isn't that us? Wanted to be in control. So this is where we find the Galatians as well, several thousand years later. Jesus Christ had died for their sin and has set them free from their guilt and shame and everything. They actually tasted freedom in Christ when they received Christ. And then as you go through a few more years, they started to forget that freedom and they were quickly influenced by a group of people saying that they must perform these different things and so on to have their, free, have their salvation and have the freedom from their sin. So Paul addresses them. And again, I said, Paul is very stern in this text. So if we look at Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, 
If indeed it was in vain, therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Again, he's saying, think about the things that you're hearing and how it's being infiltrated into the truth and being sort of camouflaged as truth, but it's actually entangling you and setting you back into bondage. That's happened in the church. The thing with COVID did is it just revealed it. Okay? Let's look again what he says in Galatians 3, 26 to 27. He says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, we wear the banner, not of this world, but we wear a banner of Jesus Christ. We have been set free from the things of this world. We now represent a whole different kingdom. We no longer are citizens of the world. We're citizens of heaven. It's a whole different mindset that should come in when we start to think about who we are and our identity in Christ. Galatians 4, 6 through 9 says, And because you are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you serve those which by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Those are changing our mind from heavenly things, things of God, to looking at earthly things and letting those things take priority of what the Word of God says. Now, for those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus for the work he did on the cross, we have that salvation and we have been set free. We always have to remember that. We've been set free from this world, from this evil age. And through this pandemic, it's been interesting to watch the church. I was just talking earlier with with Earl of all the different churches that I go and visit. Really what it is, it's divided in thirds. There's a third of the believers that were faithfully, if the door was open, they were here. They were serving, and they were even out serving other people and so on. They were active. They understood their faith. Um... They were sort of, in a way, above the pandemic. They look at the situation and looked at it as an opportunity rather than uh, a problem. And then there's a third that was like, eh, maybe today I feel like a Christian and today I don't. And they sort of, they're here once in a while and you see them sometimes, but yet they're sort of, you're not really sure exactly where they are. And then there's a third we'll never see again. They were never a part of the church to begin with. They liked to come and feel like they were a part of something. But when it got, when it got tough, they just sort of disappeared. And we'll never see them again. The church is to be different than the world. As believers, we are to be light in darkness. That's a challenge that Christ gave us, to be very different. But as I've looked at the church through the pandemic, unfortunately, and I'm speaking very generally, 
the church has not been a whole lot different than the world. It's the first time in history that I can remember or ever recall that there were divisions within the church over cultural issues instead of doctrinal issues. Like people were leaving a church because the pastor didn't handle it right whether to wear a mask or not wear a mask. That is ridiculous for a believer. And I'm not going to give you how I view any of that because it's irrelevant. But to see people leave a church over whether somebody is vaccinated or not vaccinated or whether they voted a certain way or a different... Those are responsibilities we have because we live in this land. I get that. But as the church, we are to be above that. Unfortunately, through the pandemic, the world has looked at the church and said, they're no different than we are. They're the same as we are. Understand as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have been set free from my circumstances. The pandemic doesn't dictate my joy. It doesn't dictate what I do for ministry. In fact, ministry actually is some of the richest ministry happening right now because of the pandemic. It's revealed our need, and people know that, for a Savior. It's wonderful. Great opportunities. Does it stink when I have to have a mask to go into a store? Yes. But I don't let that dictate my joy or whether I'm going to share the gospel with somebody, even though they might not understand me because I have a mask on. But, side the point, let's look at what Paul says in Philippians, and I love this. This is something that I think wraps it up in such a good way. He says in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I had that conversation when I started doing missions work, and flying a lot, getting on a plane and flying over the ocean and going to another country and everything. And, and there's always that risk of, you know, your plane could crash. But every time I would get on a plane or go and get in a weird situation, I would say the same thing. To live is Christ and to die is gain. When it comes to the pandemic, God has ordained my days. He already knows how many days I'm going to live on this earth. That's not for me to say, for you to say, or anything. So whether I die of COVID or whether I die by a plane crash or savages in another country, kill me. To die is gain. To live, I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how I live my day every single day. And as believers, that's what we're challenged to. Paul could say that because he understood freedom in Christ. So if you read Philippians, everybody knows Paul was in prison then, right? And he's writing these words, and even as he's dictating it to Timothy, he says, oh yeah, and by the way, just rejoice. Rejoice always. You know, and you're like, what? You're in prison. But Paul never lived underneath the circumstances. The circumstances really meant nothing to Paul because he was following Jesus Christ. And that's the challenge for us. No matter what's in front of us, whatever we're going through in life, no matter how difficult it seems, we should never live under those circumstances. We should live to what God has called us. All of us have difficult days ahead of us. 
every single one of us. The challenge is, can you say that you live in freedom just as Paul did? Or do you let these circumstances dictate your freedom? In Galatians 5.13, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But, but through love, serve one another. You know, if we understand our freedom in Christ and the liberty that he's given us, as I said earlier, we will look different than the world. The other thing is, we'll look at the world very differently, too. Our world's a mess right now. You just watch Fox News or CNN. It doesn't matter what you watch. Just watch the news. It's a mess. It's absolutely a mess. There is so much confusion going on. And I would say, in general, the church is a mess right now, too. God is doing some refining in the church. Because I truly believe that the division that's happening in the church has happened because they've allowed cultural issues like political issues, political policies, you name it, ridiculous things that that we've seen the we've not seen the fruits of the spirit displayed in the church. We've seen a lot of the world in the church. In Galatians 5, 26, or 25 and 26, he says, But if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. Now he's talking to the church here. Provoking one another. Or envying one another. And then in Galatians 6, 9 through 10, he says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. Does the world see I Hope Church as a community that loves each other? As a community that builds up each other? As a community that loves the community around them? Or do we just look like the rest of the world? That's a challenge to us. You know, we're entering a time in history where I believe it's really, really close to the Lord's return. There are signs that are revealed in Revelation, in the book of Daniel, prophecies that have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled right before our eyes. And I'm not going to get into prophecy and all that other stuff, but you talk to a lot of theologians and they say it's getting close. The Bible says there's birth pains. The labor pains are starting. And Christ's return is coming soon. In fact, we know right here in the U.S., our faith as Christians is being attacked every day. It is. There's all sorts of different things that are happening. If you look at legislation that's happening, I believe in America it's systematically being taken over by anti-God and anti-Bible beliefs. Slowly, okay, we won't have the freedom we have that we have today to gather and preach the gospel. I believe that will happen in my lifetime. I wish I could say different, but I believe it will happen in my lifetime. And this year, I turned 60, so I don't have a whole lot of time left in my life here. 
but it's a challenge for us. What will the church do when that happens? Will we be strong enough to endure the persecution? Will our faith be strong enough to where we will still proclaim boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or will we wander away from it? That's the challenge for the church. As Pastor Matt gets up here and preaches every Sunday, that's the burden on his shoulders, is to disciple each one of you so that your faith grows strong enough that when the persecution comes, the church will survive. One thing we do know throughout history, when persecution came, the church grew. Because a lot of the world says, I want what they have. Because my world's a mess right now, and I want what the church has. And I pray that I hope church will be that church that will be bold. Unfortunately, a lot of believers are entangled in the things of this world that we have no business allowing it have control over us. I always love when I go to a church and I just listen to the conversations. What do they talk about? It's rare. It's rare that I hear a group of believers when I go in a church talk about, hey, I got to share the gospel with this person at work today or this week. It's rare. Usually they're talking about something that happened on the news, something cultural. And I'll forgive if you talked about the Super Bowl today. That's okay. But we get wrapped up in a whole bunch of different things, right? That as believers... We don't, we think they're good, but all of a sudden they entangle us, and all of a sudden we're spending time and making, that was a whole other thing, Facebook. Some of the comments I saw on Facebook by believers, I had to block them because I couldn't believe that they were saying that as believers in Jesus Christ. It just broke my heart. So, things to ask yourself today. What are the things that have entangled you? What are you in bondage to? Politics? Sports? The news channel? Legalism? COVID? And all the stuff that comes with that? Social media? You fill in the blank. What are the things of this world that have entangled you? Understand that Christ has set you free from those things. You now live as a child of the king and his ways are different than our ways, the world's. His kingdom is different than the, this world. Right now, the king of this world is the enemy and God has given him grace to rule for a while, for just a while, but eventually he will understand the freedom that he's lost too in the eternal pit of fire. And there'll be a bunch that will go with him. I don't want that to be any of you. Freedom is found in Christ. Let's pray. I know there's some here today that have not experienced that freedom in Christ. They're still in bondage to their sin. Lord, I pray that today is a day that you'd set them free. That they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
for what he did. That he took our place, the punishment that we deserve, so that we can live. And not just survive, but to thrive in a world that's crazy. That we can still have joy. And I even am thinking of Stephen the martyr, as he's being stoned, he looks at him and says, God, don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. And our Lord Jesus, even as he's being crucified on the cross, looks down on those that have nailed him to the cross and said, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, I want to have that heart. So, Lord, I pray for each person here today that the words that you speak would penetrate through their thoughts today, through their heart. That we are to live a life of freedom, not based on what the law of the land says, but based on the word of God. And through that, that we can praise, we can lift up the name of Jesus Christ even when persecution comes. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.